The past couple of years have seen a boom in the ICO space, followed by a whole lot of uncertainty. That's due not only to the prices of crypto tanking this year, but also because of the issues surrounding the legality around issuing tokens and coins. While we're not financial advisors or legal experts, we are fortunate to encounter people who are and today, we'll have a very informative discussion with Mark Roderick, one of the leading crowdfunding and fintech lawyers in the United States. You'll discover what's legal, what's not, and where the future is taking us. You don't need to be Perry Mason to know the SEC is going to crack down on the scams, but it's important to know how regulation is going to legitimize our beloved blockchain world. You be the judge and the jury today as we welcome you to episode number 205 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, ignition. Who's bad? And once again, we bid you a fond welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious, the crypto serious, and the crypto litigious. Well, we don't want you. We don't want you to be litigious. But I'm Joel Cum, and that that guy right over there wearing the Kansas City hat is Mr. Travis Wright. Hey, how'd you know I'm wearing a Kansas City hat? I don't have video on. That's all you wear are Kansas City hats. You probably yeah, sleep with them City on. There's a Kansas City hat on my head. That is weird. Yeah. How'd, you, how'd you know that? Because you you, you sleep with them. You shower with them. You sleep with them. You go to the crapper with them. I don't. I sometimes do that. I most of the time do that. But I don't sleep with them, Mr. Joel Com. That would be silly. Well, you're sometimes silly. Mm, that's not true. Hey, but we thank you guys for tuning into our show. Thank you so much. We are the podcast for the crypto curious and serious. Um, sometimes serious. This isn't radio. You know, they don't tune in. They just download or stream. It's not well, like, they, you know. Exactly. They, they, they turn it on and listen. That's true. But they don't tune, like in. tune in. Yeah. Listen to 97.3. BCPT <laughs> around <WPT>. the world <laughs> on the blockchain. It's the Bad Crypto Podcast, yes. and Over we are eight hundred du- million downloads so far. Mm-hmm. And Pretty we are duck, duck going stuff, so you don't have to. You don't have to even take your time, duck, duck going, because we got that covered for you. And we'd love to hear from you guys. In fact, it's been a while since we've given out the Bad Crypto Hotline, where you can call, ask questions, say hello, tell us about a token that you want to hear us talk about. Um, it's 708-885-9030 is the phone number. Wait, you didn't get that? Here, grab something to write with. Right? Okay, we're waiting. Grab a, a utensil, a Sharpie, so you can write it on the palm of your hand, 708-885-9030. That's true. Or you can um, send us some smoke signals at Puff Puff Pass. Puff Puff <laughs> Pass. Are you over there puff puffing right now? I am not. That- it's too early in the day for that, Mrs. Jocom. We got a great interview for you guys today. Mark Roderick was more knowledgeable than we even hoped he would be. He's got a fantastic blog, is proficient in the area of uh, legality, uh, law surrounding blockchain and cryptos. You're really going to enjoy this. But first, a shout out to our show sponsor. Uh, We are advisors with Digitex, and they are also sponsoring this episode of the show. Very episodic. Yes. So they're launching a commission-free trading platform. So, you know, if you have some Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin futures, you want to deal with those, they allow you 
to uh, that platform allows you to do those trading. Um, pretty handy stuff. And it eliminates all transaction fees as well as withdrawal and deposit fees. And pretty handy stuff has a very nice uh, user interface to make trading mo fun, right? Actually, I think it's just, it's just it's very clean and uh, it's going to be full on ready to go here at the end of the year. So be sure to sign up for early access. I believe they have nearly 500,000 people on the list already, Mr. Joel Com. They do. They've got their own base crypto. It's the DGTX token. And there are half a million people that have signed up for early access on their wait list to be one of the first to trade futures for free. The URL you can go to to check it out and also get on the list is badco.in forward slash futures. So check it out in the present. Yeah. And speaking of the present, it's time to get into this great interview with Mark Roderick. So let's go ahead and do that. Here we go. The last couple of years have seen ICOs run amok, higgledy-piggledy, if you will. And while that's happening, there's a lot of people wondering if they're breaking the law with their crowdfunding. It's a confusing space, and a lot of companies have backed off of doing ICOs right now. And of course, you can't contribute to an ICO in the United States unless you are a qualified investor. And to help make sense of all of these shenanigans today, we have with us Mark Roderick, he is a crowdfunding and fintech lawyer, uh, one of the leading ones. He's got over 20 years of in-depth knowledge of capital raising and securities law, and he is uh, in, in this crypto space at crowdfundattorney.com, only it's abbreviated, A-T-T-N-Y.com. There'll be a link in the show notes, and he talks about all the legal uh, practices needed for those that are uh, dealing in the crypto space. So, Mark, welcome to Bad Crypto. Welcome to be here. Is that, yeah. No, good to be here. Thank you. Glad, or, Welcome. Yeah. Yes. It's bad. That, to be that here. was awkward. Bad, bad crypto podcast. It's bad to be here. It's bad to be here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, did I accurately kind of position the ICO space as it's been for the last couple of years? Uh, relative to what? Um, you You said some things that were right. You said something that wasn't exactly right. Um, and 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 we could we could we could jump in there. So you said that you can only participate in an ICO if you were a qualified investor. That is what you said. I think. Go back and I, check. I did say that. Those Go were back my and words. Check the tape. Um, it depends. So on some kinds of ICO offerings. Um, you don't have to be a qualified investor, or to put it differently, everyone is a qualified investor. And in other kinds of ICO offerings, there is this concept of being a qualified investor, which means in those cases, a so-called accredited investor. And most ICOs are done to accredited investors only, but by no means all. There are some ICOs where anybody can invest. It it depends on the kind of securities offering being conducted. Well, may, maybe elaborate on that, dif differentiate on those. Okay, well, well, here's the whole thing. Here's like all of U.S. securities laws in 90 seconds. So 
ICOs, we're, we're going to assume right now that an ICO is selling something that is treated as a security under U.S. law. And, if, and you've probably done whole shows on that question. When is a token a security and when is it not? But we're going to assume right now that it is. That's why we're having the conversation about securities offerings. So someone is selling a token that is a security. The general rule of U.S. securities laws is that any time you sell a security, you have to do a whole public offering through the SEC, like the kind Facebook did with millions and millions of dollars and takes a long time. That's the general rule. But then there are a whole bunch of exceptions to that general rule, exemptions, we call them. And there's a lot of different exemptions, and each exemption has its own rules and its own qualifications. So the most common exemption uh, in the United States is under so-called Rule 506 by the SEC. And that is where most ICOs happen under Rule 506C, as in Charlie or Cat or cool, or cucumber. But anyway, so offerings under Rule 506C, whether they're for ICOs or for any other kind of security, can only be sold to so-called accredited investors. But 506C is only one of many exemptions. So another popular exemption these days is Regulation A, totally different animal. And that uh, exemption applies to all investors. And then there are other exemptions, lo- lots of other exemptions, including some state exemptions. And in fact, one of the crowdfunding exemptions, Title III crowdfunding, also known as Regulation Crowdfunding or Regulation CF, there are a fair number of uh, little I- ICOs done under that exemption. And that too allows non-accredited investors to participate. So you get the idea. The general rule is everything has to be registered with the ICO. Then there are all these exemptions, dozens of exemptions. Each exemption has its own rules, and some of those exemptions require only accredited investors and others don't. I have a question around that, Mark. So, you know, there's also been some really interesting, you know, angles taken around crowdfunding with, uh, you know, some of these ICOs and STOs and different things. And like, for example, there's a company called Republic.co that allows you, uh, I think they can accept up to a million dollars in retail investors. I know Start Engine, uh, which had been a sponsor on our show at one time, they also do something similar with crowdfunding. So how does crowdfunding sort of flow into this because it's like it's to me it's like it merges the ico plus kickstarter type of stuff which is which was the next step the next evolution of crowdfunding because i was like whenever i could buy stuff from kickstarter i was like well how come i can't buy part of the company and i'm I'm participating in helping their grow their company but i don't get any equity now we're getting to the point where well now that's like oh well you're maybe not getting any equity but you're getting some tokens now we're seeing STOs and maybe getting some equity in the company along with these tokens. But how how do you see crowdfunding fitting into the overall scheme of things? Okay. So what you are talking about is, is this. What you are calling crowdfunding is one type of crowdfunding. Crowdfunding was created 
by the Jobs Act in in 2012. And the jobs the Jobs Act created actually three kinds of of crowdfunding. It created Title II, Title III, and Title IV. And um, when I was just saying a few minutes ago that some ICOs are being sold under regulation crowdfunding, that is actually what you are referring to in your last question as as crowdfunding. So sites like Start Engine and Republic, they are offering securities under this regulation crowdfunding, which is to kind of pull this together a little, regulation crowdfunding is one of the many exemptions that I that I was talking about a few minutes ago. And it, like all the other exemptions, it has its own rules. And one of the rules is you can only raise a million dollars. It's actually a million and 70,000. Another rule is that anybody can participate, including non-accredited investors. And then there are a whole bunch of other rules, including limits on how much each investor can invest. And it's a very small amount. So, yes, you are absolutely right. That kind of crowdfunding, we call it Title III crowdfunding or Regulation CF or Regulation Crowdfunding, that is being used to sell uh, securities in the token world. And it is, as you, as you said, it is kind of an interesting small step away from the Kickstarter and Indiegogo world where you were just basically asked to donate money and you got a baseball cap in return. And now those same kinds of companies, small companies just getting off their off the ground or getting on their feet, now they can offer you something more than a baseball cap using Title III crowdfunding. They can offer you stock or some other kind of security instrument. So there is a very nice connection between sort of the Kickstarter version of crowdfunding and the equity kind of crowdfunding this new title this this new title 3 and there are there are, there are a lot of blockchain companies trying to use title 3 to raise money you're absolutely right is that then is that the evolution of this is that where it's headed or do you see us going through some other permutations before we settle on the you know a, a form of crypto uh, crowdfunding i think we've sort of settled on it you know, back in 2017, unfortunately, there were a lot of people, you know, claiming that none of these laws, none of these securities laws applied to blockchain because it was all so new and so cool. You know, that idea, I think at this point, has been pretty effectively <laughs> quashed by the SEC. And so now we're we're sort of back to where we should have been in the beginning. So if you're just if you're a little startup and you're just trying to raise a little money in your blockchain company, you might use Title III crowdfunding. If you're a little bit bigger of a company trying to raise more money, you might use Title II, which is accredited investors only. And if you think you can raise $50 million, you might raise Title IV, which is also known as, as Regulation A, meaning blockchain companies are now sort of in the same position and using the same securities law exemptions as 
real estate companies and every other kind of company. You choose your exemption based on your target audience of investors and how much money you're trying to raise and other factors, none of it being unique to crypto as such. The same kinds of considerations all companies have to take into account. Now, I want to ask you this, Mark. You are, I believe, based on your 609, you're in New Jersey, right? Correct. Uh, Yeah, so you're covering sort of New Jersey, New York, Manhattan, New York City, all that area. So how, I mean, because it seemed like, you know, we've we've read the history of this where, you know, New York didn't really like Bitcoin. They have the bit license up there. And does does this impact New York differently than it does other parts of the United States? No, 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 no. No, this is a, a national and even an international phenomenon. I mean, as we all know, I think the the blockchain world, uh, actually like the crowdfunding world, blockchain world is sort of has its I would guess it's center in the Los Angeles area and the cultures. We could have a whole conversation about the cultures between sort of the Los Angeles world and and the New York world. Um, But it's all the same. It is, you know, from a legal perspective, it it affects everyone in exactly the same ways. Everyone is using exactly the same rules and under the same legal frameworks to to try to raise money. I mean, in, in Los, Los Angeles, sort of blockchain is more of a cultural phenomenon as well as a financial con- phenomenon. If you've ever been in the New York world, you know, New York is, re- is about finance. <laughs> it's about money. And so the two cultures sort of come at it a little differently, but they both end up in the same place and they're they're all subject to the same rules. Okay, so here we are, late 2018, and investors are looking for reliable channels to place their money into blockchain. What types of things should uh, investors be looking for here to make wise investments? Well, I will tell you, that is a good question, <laughs> and that's not a good answer. But as as you know, and all your listeners know, there has been so much hype um, around blockchain and crypto, you know, in in the beginning, you know, people sort of thought, well, if it's about blockchain, then I'm going to be I'm going to get rich. Just as in 1996, people, you know, if it said dot com, people thought it would be a great investment. Of course, that has turned out not to be true. Um, you know, my my response is. When you're investing in in blockchain, it's exactly the same advice as if you're investing in in anything else. It it's great if there are some investors alongside you whom you respect. Okay, that is a great indication that there is potential value there. I think that it's a great idea, as it is, you know, the Warren Buffett thing. You you should understand what you're investing in. Why is this uh, particular crypto or blockchain application? Why is it going to make money? You know, is it is it something that you understand? I think that's a great thing. I'm partial to investments that have been curated by somebody, so. You know, a company that has had to prove to show its business plan to a reputable crowdfunding site, 
uh, I I think is by definition a better bet, you know, than a a company that you heard about through a friend or a company that that is on one of the sites that is not curated, that is so-called bulletin board sites. Um, and of course, you better be prepared to lose your money because most of these companies are startups and most of them are going to fail, you know, just like any new technology business. But, you know, you can, you can really help yourself by uh, choosing whom you want to invest alongside of, I think. I think that's a that's an important thing. I want to invest alongside Mark Roderick because you seem to know what you're talking about. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me ask you then about, you know, the world as it's evolving from utility tokens and security tokens. And, you know, you also talk about using finders to sell securities, including those tokens. So maybe if you want to discuss that a little bit, like that whole ecosystem of security tokens and how we're evolving into that and maybe how investors can benefit from that. Or do you have to be a certain class of investor to even be able to take advantage of those? Sure. So, I'll yeah, try to shed some light on these these terms like security token and utility token and 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 things like that. So, um, again, going way way back in history, meaning to 2017, so people long started. Ago. To, that was that was yeah. So it's all like just it's, yeah. My great grandfather was practicing law then. Um, so people started selling th- th- these things called tokens. Now, what is a token? My favorite example is. You're going to start a movie theater chain. You don't have any movie theaters yet. You're going to start a movie theater chain. The traditional way to raise money would have been to um, sell stock in your company, right? Join my company. We're going to build these theaters. Then we'll pay dividends and so forth. Alternatively, however, there was always a different way to to raise capital for that movie chain theater, and that was to sell a lot of little blue movie tickets, the little paper tickets that get you admission to see a movie, okay? Those very high-tech, you know, little, little blue tickets. Tokens are little blue movie tickets, even though they are super cool and do lots of, you know, digital wizardry, tokens are just those little blue movie tickets. They get you admission to something at some point in the future. So in the movie chain situation, buy a ticket, you'll get to see a movie two years from now when we build some darn theaters. And the token is typically by this token, you'll be able to do something really cool with it, like participate in a digital network, like a digital data storage network that has been built, hopefully, two years from now. But in both cases, even though one is cool and one is boring, it's just the little blue movie ticket. Okay. Now, last year in 2017, as I say, in relative prehistory, People who were building digital networks got the idea of let's raise money, not by selling stock in our companies, but by selling little blue movie tickets. Um, And we're going to take the position, they decided with their lawyers, that these little blue movie tickets are not subject to 
securities laws. We've discovered a big loophole. We can raise hundreds of millions of dollars without complying with securities laws because we're selling little blue tickets rather than pieces of paper called stock certificates. And thus was born the concept of a utility token, something that is does not represent ownership of a company, something that only represents the right to access a digital network in the future. Now, what happened without going into all the legal detail, which is boring, is that it turned out that those little blue movie tickets, those tokens were securities after all, because they were really not being sold to go see a movie two years from now. They were being sold on the promise that as as our network gets closer and closer to completion, the value of the little ticket is going to skyrocket and you're going to become wealthy. So they were being sold as an investment. Okay, so that's those little utility tokens actually became securities for purposes of U.S. securities laws. The next step in what happened is investors started to say, why do I want to buy a little blue movie ticket? If this guy's building a movie theater chain, I don't want to just be able to get in to see a darn movie. I want to share in the profits of the entire chain. And so investors started to push back and say, you know, I think I'd like stock after all. Okay, so that's the next little piece that happened. And then the next piece that happened is, well, since blockchain technology is so cool and because utility tokens are going to be treated as securities anyway, and because investors kind of like stock, let's just sell stock certificates that are themselves tokens. And that then became known in the industry as security tokens. Security tokens are nothing more than a stock certificate that is being kept track of on the blockchain and is therefore referred to as a token. So I hope, listening to myself tell that whole story, it sounds hopelessly complicated, but I hope you get the impression that we've sort of come full circle. That movie chain owner who went from selling little blue movie tickets and he realized that it was a security, then the people buying him thought they'd rather have securities anyway, (laughs) is now back to selling stock in his company, but he's just calling it a token. That's a security token. It's like stock 2.0. That's exactly, that's a great term. I'm going to use that term. Yeah, it was good. No, I I loved your description there. I think a lot of our listeners maybe finally just now understood what a security token is and what it means because of that analogy. Now, well, the analogy that I'll normally use instead of the movie ticket is like a laundromat. And you get those tokens to put in the laundromat, but maybe, you know, I, I got a viable product because I have one washing machine and one dryer here. And, but what you can do is you can buy these tokens, which is sort of like, you know, getting paid forward, you know, a couple years revenue up front. That way you can then go and actually build your business. So that's kind of one of the ways that I've described it. And, but I love your movie ticket, um, uh, you know, no, I want to go to well. the movie. no, but I, I actually, I actually like your analogy. I think it's a great analogy because one of the reasons investors have pushed back to take your analogy. Okay. I bought 
little tokens that I can put into your washer and dryer. Well, let's say as your business plan develops, you decide you're going to use a slightly different kind of washer and dryer. And my tokens don't fit <laughs> that kind. Mm. So that is, in fact, what can happen with a utility token. And the investors are scratching their head and saying, now, wait a second. I, I mean, I want to participate in this company no matter what kind of washer or dryer you end up using. So you know what? I think I'd rather own stock. But but your your analogy and you know and pointing out which I failed to do this is just prepaid revenue right it's mm -hmm. just prepaid revenue that's all these tokens really are once you cut through all the you know cool technology and the amazing things they can do it's we're just talking about prepaid revenue which is also you know why there's a tax difference between selling uh, stock, when a company sells stock, it doesn't pay tax. If you sell little blue movie tickets, you're just, you know, it's like prepaid magazine subscriptions. You got to pay tax on it. So it, it all makes sense. We, we have the best analogies here. We have the best analogies and in, in terms that you're swiping for Mr. Travis Wright. He's going to need to contact a lawyer, <laughs> you know, to make sure that the trademark is covered. Here, here's my question for you, Mark. Uh, you know, retroactively, how does this affect the companies that have done these token raises? Obviously, the SEC is investigating the, you know, outright yeah. scams. But for those that were doing this that have a legitimate business, what happens? Well, some of them are being sued. So a lot of people did illegal ICOs back in 2017. That is to say, they sold tokens that really were securities, and they pretended that they were not securities. And the result of doing that, which they didn't realize at the time, was that if your investors lose money, they have the right to get it back from you personally. So that that is what we call a boo-boo. Uh, that's the technical legal jargon. Oh. I did see that. I did see that in the law books. Yeah, Bubo. There's a whole bunch of chapters mm -hmm. on it, and and so those entrepreneurs now could face, you know, absolutely devastating uh, lawsuits. And the lawyers involved who were giving them that bad advice actually also could face devastating lawsuits. And and similarly, you had asked about the finders and stuff. People were you know, paying, go, go sell a million of our tokens and we'll pay you 10%. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. But when you're doing that and those things turn out to be securities, it's kind of like finding out that you were touching kryptonite when you were Superman. Because now all those finders were getting percentages from selling tokens. Oh, that was illegal. And the companies who were paying them, that means they're offering was illegal and the investors have the right to get their money back. So it is potentially retroactively a really big hurt for those companies. I think the legal terminology is a cluster. It, it really is. It, it, um, cluster boo-boo. <laughs> um, I want to ask you a, a couple of things. I have, I have a couple of questions. First, I want to ask you then about airdrops. Because, you know, what if it's an airdrop and they're dropping these, these um, you know, tokens to people in their community, but it's a security? Because that's one, that's one thing that we've wanted to do as bad crypto because we work with a lot of these different crypto companies. 
is like, hey, come on, Bad Crypto, and, and do an airdrop to our listeners. But then we've chatted with with attorneys, and they say no because that could be a security that could get you make you liable. That could be a problem, and so we've not actually done that. But we thought, how cool would it be? But we've held off on that. So maybe, what are your thoughts on airdrops? And then after you answer that, I'll, I'll ask my other question. Okay. Well. The um, the SEC is going to take the position that airdrops are an offering of of securities. That that is pretty clear that the SEC is going to take that position. Um, now, I do I think it should be treated as an offering of securities. It depends. I mean, I I generally kind of scratch my head and think, no, it shouldn't be treated as an offering of securities. But but here's what's going on. The SEC is saying airdrops don't happen in a vacuum. Uh, A company issues securities, tokens, and then does an airdrop with the purpose not of making gifts to a whole lot of people, but with the purpose of increasing the value of the other outstanding tokens or of the tokens to be issued in the future. So while on a standalone basis, it's possible that if the only tokens a company ever issued had been airdropped, those might not be securities. That's never how it happens. Companies do an airdrop in conjunction with other, like with a sale of securities. And so the SEC kind of says, well, we're going to put those things together and treat it all as one big offering of securities. And I have a harder time arguing with that. So don't do an airdrop. That I mean, that's the, I mean, if you guys are thinking about it, yeah, don't do it and, until you talk about specifics with some qualified securities lawyer. The the SEC is going to treat these things as securities offerings. That's interesting. So, you know, we've had a lot of conversations on here, Mark, about, you know, retail investors and how, you know, when it comes to ICOs, I mean, anyone could invest in an ICO, except if you're in America now, you can't because Mark and uh and so we've had I've had some challenges with that. It's like, look, I can go down and blow five hundred dollars on lottery tickets for the Powerball if I want, yeah. but I can't spend five hundred dollars on an ICO where I could actually maybe get some some returns on that. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And maybe what are some some solutions, or where do you see the industry heading for retail investors who aren't those you know accredited million dollar holders? Because Here's crypto, decentralized space, but what's happening in America is the rich get richer and people who, you know, maybe want to participate now are on the sidelines unless unless they use a VPN or sort of circumvent the the geography of it all. But that can, there's the slippery slope as well. So maybe what are your thoughts on that? Ah, I'm glad you asked me that question. Um, so one answer is that as we were talking about in the in the very beginning there there actually are opportunities for non accredited investors to uh, to participate in in ICOs through these various exemptions whether it's regulation A offerings or title 3 crowdfunding offerings so there there actually are opportunities but here's the thing the sort of big picture of of why the system works the way it does. It is absolutely true that anybody can go to Las Vegas and gamble away their entire net worth. And it's absolutely true that anyone 
can go buy a Lamborghini, even though, you know, they're not nearly, you know, their net worth doesn't, doesn't justify that. That's because the government doesn't care whether people continue to go to Las Vegas or whether people continue to buy Lamborghinis. So the fact that someone lost all their money there, the government has no interest in that. Conversely, the government has an enormous interest in ensuring that Americans continue to trust the U.S. capital markets. The United States has the most stringent securities laws in the world. The United States also has the healthiest, most vibrant, most active capital markets in the world, giving U.S. companies access to almost bottomless pools of of capital. And those two things are not unrelated. The fact that we have the most stringent securities laws in the world and the healthiest and the wealthiest capital markets in the world. When investors trust the capital markets, they invest money. The point being that the government has a tremendous interest in ensuring that uh, the capital markets of the United States remain healthy. So there are a lot of companies today, and always have been a lot of companies around the world, who maybe could get listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange because it, you know, it doesn't have tremendously high standards, but could not get listed on the U.S. stock exchange. And the U.S., you know, there's some short-term loss there. The, the U.S. Uh, and its entrepreneurs suffer a short-term loss because it won't take that company, right? But in the long term, it makes the decision, we don't want that company. Because we want investors to know that if a company is listed on the New York Stock Exchange or on NASDAQ, then it has passed through some very stringent filters. So that's a kind of long way of saying that there's a reason why the securities laws limit what non-accredited investors can invest in. One of sort of one of the foundation foundational points of US securities laws is that rich people can take care of themselves because they can hire lawyers and accountants and financial advisors and non-rich people cannot and although we can all think of lots of exceptions to that rule both ways in general it has served the capital markets pretty well and yes we we do keep some very smart sophisticated, non-accredited investors from investing. But the flip side of that is we keep people from investing who shouldn't be investing. And one way that the system might get tweaked in the, in the near future is to change the definition of accredited investor to let more people, sophisticated people, through the filter. But as a general matter, 
keeping the U.S. securities markets healthy and maintaining investor trust in the securities markets is more important than sort of losing short-term money. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it, it does. I'm I'm still of the mindset that, you know what, people get to do what people want to do, but I I understand it. And it's great that we do have such solid markets here in the U.S. And you could certainly attribute a lot of that to the regulation that we have. Yeah, I mean, it's a constant tension, right? Because you do want to let, you know, part of the American way is you do want to let people do what they want to do. At the same time, we have you know, we have lots of rules <laughs> to keep people from doing things that they shouldn't do, even if they think that they that they should do them. So the, the the way the law works is it is constantly evolving to meet the needs of business people. And it will do that here, too. It will happen a lot more slowly than a lot of us would like. But it it will it will evolve. I, I will say that the history of the cryptocurrency and blockchain market, such history as, as it's had, you know, you, you wouldn't necessarily look at that and say, you know, it's what's happened over the last 18 months and say, boy, I wish more widows and orphans had been allowed to invest their savings in that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, when you put it that way, I mean, you know, come on. I get it. Yeah. Mark Roderick, the crowdfund attorney, the website crowdfundattny.com. This is a really comprehensive blog. Mark is a prolific writer, and he's also got, if you look up on the, the bar on top, a, a crowdfunding cheat sheet, a printable PDF, which goes through the uh, the five different types of crowdfunding and you know whether certain terms apply to each of those. It's a really valuable piece. So thanks, Mark, for, uh, for providing that as well. Yep, that thing has gone around the world. I wrote that thing, little thing for myself as a cheat sheet so I could have it on my desk next to me. Um, and then I said, well, why not put that on my blog? And wow, that thing has gone all over the place. And lost him again. Got it as a cheat sheet, and then he ran away. Ex-presidents have looked at it, and it's it's actually pretty amazing. The, uh, what about the current presidents? Has, has Trump seen it? Do you know? <laughs> not that I. He, he hasn't. He hasn't twittered me yet. So okay. well, maybe I guess I've seen it. It was tremendous. Nobody makes better report things, yeah. cheat sheets than Mark Roderick. I can assure you. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Mark Roderick, making crowdfunding great again. Mark, thanks again for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Thanks again, Mark, for providing information and for offering this this cheat sheet that's here on his website, Travis. Did you get a look at this thing yet? I did. Yes, the uh, flastergreenberg.com assets. It's the crowdfunding cheat sheet. He created it a couple of years ago, so things have evolved a little bit since then, but talks about Title II, Title Three, Regulation A, Reg A, Reg Tier 1, Tier 2, Rule 504, talks about the different things. So there's a nice link to that in the show notes if you want to uh, get some more edumacation on the crowdfunding situation. And do check out his blog. You know, it's linked in the show notes, badco.in forward slash 205. This guy writes frequently about blockchain and the legality surrounding it. Lots of really great. It's the most comprehensive um, blog I've found 
that you know that deals with this so if you are in the crypto space and you need to uh, do your research this is a great place to start do it and maybe finish i don't know maybe you can get it all done right there on mark's site maybe just read all of his blogs all at once and then don't get up until you're done there you go do that you know, people people are starving and they don't get blog content so you should sit there and finish your plate I'm kind of hungry myself, actually. I'm ready to uh, to make some din-din for myself, to feed, put some foods in my, my face. I have already eaten, so I'm full and I'm grumpy. Oh, I'm don't be grumpy. Don't be uh-huh. grumpy. It's a good day, Mr. Travis, right? All right. And stay we have, bad. I'm just trying to are, stay bad. You're doing a great job of staying bad, and I'm not going to let you end the show right there. I'm not done yet. Come on. I'm going to stay bad. I said, <laughs> I'm not done. Stop Stop trying to end uh, the show already. You've got to decentralize the show. Come on. Stay I want to tell people all over the world. Stay to, no, I want to tell them to follow, to subscribe, and to share this broadcast. Evangelize somebody's phone by just snatching it from them when they're not looking and subscribing to Bad Crypto Podcast. And stay bad. And stay bad. Fine. <laughs> Finish the show. Uh, subscribe, stay bad. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.